Good morning, Nachum. Good Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Noach. Wow. As I said with Bereshis last week, we're off and running, meaning that we covered the first thousand years of civilization, creation, from last week, from Adam to Noach. This week in Parshas Noach, we have the second thousand years, starting with Noah and ending with Avraham Avinu. There is so much to talk about in this parsha. Let's just remember that there are no formal mitzvos of the Tariyag. However, there's always so much to learn from the surface and, please God, from beneath the surface. The first part of the parasha deals with the door Hamabul, the generation of the flood, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had to bring a flood to destroy civilization because there was a breakdown of man to man. There was immorality, there was violence, and this is not an environment where Hashem could have his Shechina in the community. And the towards the end of the parasha, we have the Migdal Bavel, the tower of Bavel that they attempted to build a tower up to the heavens to do battle with Hashem. And since there was brotherhood, unity between man, Hashem did not destroy that civilization, did not destroy that people. He dispersed them. Interestingly, the rabbis tell us, let's remind ourselves of the first word of the Torah, Bereshis, for the Torah for the Jewish people that are both referred to as racist. Did Hashem create the world? Had the entire world been just as we're told in the beginning of chapter 11, Devorim achadim, Safa achas, one language, one thinking, they were all thinking along the lines of idolatry, Avram Avinu could not come on the scene. However, now that Hashem dispersed them, different languages, people were open towards other ideas. Hence, like the Rambam says, Avram Avinu was able to now have and accrue thousands, tens of thousands of students. And finally, as the Drushas Haran says, this was a portent of world history, that when and if Lo'alenu, Jews were persecuted, unwanted, expelled from one location, there always would be another location to let them in. So, as we find by Yaakov Avinu, the other camp would have a place for survival. I'd like to share with you 
this morning a beautiful idea of Rab Chaim Shmulevitz Zechat Sadik Levracha, the Rosh Yeshiva of the Mir Yeshiva, whose Shmuzin on the Torah were printed posthumously in his Sichos Musar, whereby in the second part of the Sefer, the fifth Ma'amar, entitled Tevas Noach, he shares some very beautiful insights. So, to appreciate this, we begin with a Rashi at the end of Parshas Bereshis. This is the last verse in chapter 5. The Torah tells us when Noah was 500 years, then he fathered Shem, Chom, and Yafes. And Rashi on this spot brings Rabbi Yudin. I wish it was my great-grandfather, but it is Rabbi Yehuda in the Rishalmi and in the Medrash. So Rabbi Yehuda taught the following. What's the reason that all the generations that are mentioned in yesteryear had children at and around the age of one or two hundred, while Noah did not have children until he was 500 years. And the answer is that Hashem reasoned the following. If his children are going to be reshaim, wicked, then they will be destroyed in the waters of the flood. And this would be exceedingly painful for Noah, the righteous man. And if they were tzaddikim, Noah's children, who are going to be righteous, then it's going to be a tircha, a bother for him to have to construct many arks to save the many generations of his descendants. And therefore, Hashem literally suppressed and prevented Noah from having children. He made him infertile and he did not have children until 500 years. Okay, now asks of Chaim Shmulevitz, on the surface, this is, quote, not okay. What do you mean? That if they were righteous, it would be a tircha. All the fathers and mothers listening know that what won't a parent do for their child? To save a child? Come on. Noah would hire other people, and the children themselves would participate in building as many arks as we need. Why did Hashem insist that the divine plan would be there'd be only one ark, and that one ark, everybody should realize, was exceedingly miraculous. What does that mean? The Ramban writes that ten arks could not house all the animals, all the food for the eight people for a year. So technically speaking, even though it was, and the Torah gives the dimensions for us to think, whoa, 
It was 300 amos, 450 feet long, one and a half Lahavdal football fields. Oh my goodness, that's big. Ten arcs, if you think how many different species of birds and animals there are, ten arcs couldn't house. Oh my goodness. So if that's the case, I always ask, why not a rowboat? And you're going to laugh and say, oh, come on, a rowboat? The answer is, it could have been a rowboat. But if it would have been a rowboat, everybody would admit, okay, you win, that's a miracle. The fact that it was 300 hamos, ooh, that's big, people have that choice to either say, come on, a boat saved them, or clearly, it was only the Yad Hashem. The thesis that Reb Chaim Shmulevitz builds is that it had to be built by Noah because Noah infused, didn't only build, as the Torah teaches us, an ark made of gopher wood, but he infused his Mesirash Nefesh. Noah went against the tide. They were all violent, immoral. Noah was that Ish Tzadik, he was and had incredible Mesiras Nefesh. What does that mean? Noah studied Torah. How do we know? The Torah says that Noah was to take from the Behemoth Torah and She'ena Torah. He had to know the animal would split hooves, the animal would choose its cud. Noah was not just a mensch, he studied Torah. Noah had to infuse into the ark these qualities. Ah, once there was this isorurusa de la sato, once there was this infusion of man's bringing to the ark his spiritual qualities, then and only then did Hashem cause these miracles to happen. And he brings three historical substantiations to this thesis. One, he says, let's remember everybody, the story of Elisha Hanavi, who revives the son of the Isha Hashunamis. This is in Malachim Beis, the second book of Kings, chapter 4. Pasuk 29, when the woman comes and runs and says to him, ay, 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 my son, he's dead. Elisha gives Kechazi, his servant, and says, immediately go, don't stop and talk to anybody. Take my staff, put it on the young child, and he will come to life. Kechazi defies his master's orders. Instead of going and rushing and speaking to nobody, whoever he met on the way, hey, you know what this staff is? This staff is going to revive the dead. Well, because unfortunately he did just that, the Radak tells us, watch, on that verse in chapter 4, Pasuk 29, Zesha Omalo, the fact that 
he was told by his master not to speak to people. Kedei shaloyis akev baderech, and that he should focus and not be delayed. And listen carefully. We're told in Pirkei Drebelaza that unfortunately, Kechazi found this to be one big joke, one big exciting thing. Anybody that he met, do you really believe? Do you believe that this is going to happen? Therefore, it didn't work. What does that mean? The power that Elisha put into it was removed. But we see that there is that spiritual power that man can put and invest into a material object. The second proof comes from the Gemara Numa 38a, whereby we find Nicanor goes to Alexandria to bring back doors for the base Hamigdash. And there's a storm on the way back from Egypt to Israel, and the storm threatened the boat. They threw overboard one of these doors. They're about to throw the other one. Gechazi. I'm sorry, excuse me. Nicanor holds on with all his might to the door and said, if you throw the door in, you're throwing me too. The storm stopped. When they get to Akko in Israel, to the port, miraculously, the door that was thrown overboard came up from underneath the boat. It floated the entire time. How did it happen? The incredible Mesiras Nefesh that Nicanor put into the door infused it with spirituality, which gave the ability to float. Finally, his third proof comes from the book of Shmuel, Aleph, chapter 2, verse 19, where we are taught that Hannah, Shmuel's mother, made for him a small garment. Now listen carefully. This is where it says, Umeil koton taselo imo. A small vest, or even others say, kapata, did his mother make for him. Now listen carefully. The Radak says, this is not something that a small child uses, but because of her love for him, she gave this to him. According to some, she took it back and brought it to him for each of the Chagim. But the Yalkut Shimoni goes on to teach us that this vest or kapata grew with him, fulfilling the miracle which occurred in the desert, that their clothing grew with them. And I quote the Yalkut Shimoni in Shmuel, Remez Kuflamites, that this Mi'il Godal, it grew with him, Ubo Nikbar, and he was buried in it. What's the idea? All Chano's tears, 
all her tefillos, all her love that she had for this child was invested into this garment and this helped Shmuel become the person that he was, a man of love, a man of kindness, and therefore teaches Parshas Noach that the Teva had to be built by Noach because only he was able to invest into the Teva Tocho Ratzov Ava, just like the base of Migdash. The foundation was love, the foundation of the Ark was love, teaching us that we can infuse into our dining room tables Mesiras Nefesh by inviting those who are lonely, those who are needy to our table, by investing into our children the concepts of Mesiras Nefesh for Torah and mitzvos. We're able to upgrade the quality of life by infusing Baruch Hashem, Ruchnius, special spirituality into making this world a much better place. Shabbat Shalom to all.